Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Connection Point Church. So glad you're here with us today. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, we just say thank you for being with us. We've been in our, our study on Thessalonians for, for four weeks now. So far, we've looked at the first three chapters. Today, we're going to jump into chapter number four. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open there, if you would, First, first Thessalonians chapter four. As we look at the first part of this passage, the first half of this chapter, I believe you're going to see it speaks directly to where we are today in the times that we live in. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 1 says this. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave to you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such." as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness or uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. Did you guys hear that? That was in the Bible. That you, in, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Now, in the first several chapters of this letter, we read about Paul commending the church. He commended them as a whole, and we, we read about him. He defended himself, and we read about how he encouraged them to remain strong in their faith, even in the face of persecution. Now, although here in this passage, we see Paul also um, talking to them about how great they're doing in certain areas as far as loving one another, we see a shift from, from great job, keep it up, to discussing some things that need to, they need to live out in their lives. In this passage, he really gives us five commands, but there's one particular command that he spends more time on. There's one command that he gives more attention to, and that is that they would abstain from sexual immorality. Why is this more of a focus than any other um, command that he talks about. Could it be sexual immorality is the thing that destroys more lives and more families than any other single thing? We could put statistics up here on the board in regards to, to crime and, and education and childbirth outside of marriage, among many other things. And the one thing that would be common in a majority of those who did not complete school who uh, turned to a life of crime would be more often than not 
those people would come from a family that would not be considered a traditional family unit, which is one mom, one dad, male and female, man and woman. See, God created um, man and said it is not good for man to be alone. And then he created a helpmate. He created woman. And God, there in the garden, established marriage between one woman and one man. In the very beginning, God set up the family. God created the family, and the enemy is out to destroy it. The enemy uses sexual immorality as a tool to fracture the family and to destroy people's lives. Listen, it's not just those who are outside of the church either, though. He uses it to destroy the lives of believers. He uses it, uses it against those who are, who are leading ministries. That's why Paul is so clear in this passage on how to live. Let's look at those first couple of verses just a little closer. He says this, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay, in this, this, this passage, we notice in the first one there, he says this, finally then brethren. Now, he didn't just say finally then church, finally then believers. We, we saw at the very beginning of this, of this letter, Paul talking about how he longed to be with this group of believers. And here in this passage, we see that he has a deep love and care for them. He says, listen up, finally brothers or finally brethren. He, he's got a clear love for them. And in this, he's saying, listen, I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you. The, the King James says, we beseech you. So he's asking them as a brother a question. He's asking them to do something, but he's doing it with urgency here. He's saying, listen, this is important. So what is it he's asking them to do? He says, it's important that you try and please God in your daily walk. In describing a Christian's life, many times you'll, you'll see it written or you've heard about it being described as your Christian walk, right? Your, your walk with God. Why is that? Let me ask you to do something. Picture in your mind someone walking. You got it? Everyone has a picture in their mind, right? You see them. You see them walking. Now, it doesn't matter if you pictured a man, a woman, a child, a small group, or a large group. I am confident in this. Every one of you in your mind of picturing someone walking saw them moving. There was movement. And I'm, I'm going to guess that that movement was them moving forward. That's got to be our Christian walk. Our life has to be constantly moving forward. You, you didn't picture them standing still. And I'm going to guess you probably didn't even, though you can walk backwards, you probably didn't even picture them walking backwards. Unless you were picturing Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk, you probably saw someone walking forward. That is the way our Christian life should be. We should be move, moving closer to God each and every day. And when we do this, it's pleasing to him. 
The flip side of that is this. If we don't, it's displeasing to him. Paul is reminding them that what he's reminding them of what he taught them while he was there, as well as when he sent Timothy back. He's saying, listen, there's no excuse for you to not live according to Scripture. The word we translate ought means must. In other words, there is not another option. You ought to be living your life pleasing to God. In other words, you must be living your life. Paul doesn't say you should walk in a way that pleases God when everything is going okay. He doesn't say you should walk in a way that's pleasing to God when life is convenient. Remember, this church was under persecution, the church he's writing to. Things weren't convenient for them. Things weren't going easy for them. But Paul also made it very clear in these first two verses that it's not his commands, that it wasn't him that was asking. Paul says, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. He says, you know that the commandments we gave you were given by Jesus Christ. In other words, it was as if Jesus himself was the one teaching. And in verse 2, he repeats that again. He, He says it for emphasis. Keeping the commands of Jesus is the responsibility of every believer. And in the first two verses, he says, listen to me. These are commandments of God. He makes that abundantly clear before he goes to the next verse. He wants the people to know, listen, this stuff that I'm telling you, it's not my ideas. I didn't just come up with this. These are not man-made. He says, so let's be clear with that. Now let me tell you what those are. And then in verse 3 he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So often people say, I just want to know the will of God for my life. Did you see it? It was there in verse number 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. If we know the will of God, which we do, it's right there in God's word, spelled out for us, shouldn't we do his will? Sanctification, abstaining from sexual immorality, is the will of God. And that that word sanctification there means to be set, set apart. It means to be separated In other words, we, as a body of believers, as the church, we shouldn't look like the world. That's a command from God. We are called to live lives of purity before God. That means we are to abstain from fornication, which is any sexual activity outside of marriage. When the Bible was the basis for our lives here in this country, That wasn't something that was up for debate. But now we are about to witness a Supreme Court nominee grilled because the Word of God is the foundation by which she lives her life. You need to understand your life, including your body, belongs to God. While we gather together for worship, while we do this corporately, and we gather together to hear instruction and to be encouraged, We don't go to the temple or we don't go to the church 
to experience God's presence because he is with us wherever we go. He is with us because his spirit resides within us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and as such, it belongs to God. And we must, and again, it's not an option, we must sanctify it or set it apart. In verse 4, Paul says, you should know how to control your body. In other words, we have no excuse for, for living a life that's not pure before God. We can't say we didn't know. Paul says, we taught you these things. We told you this was a command of God. This is God's will for your life. And Paul says we are to set aside our bodies and not give into the passions of lust like those who do not know God. Sexual immorality was prominent in the day of Paul when he was writing this letter. It was part of temple worship. In the pagan temples, they even had temple prostitutes there in the temples. Sexual immorality was commonplace. And Paul is instructing his brothers in Christ, don't be like the world. Don't live your life like them. It will put you in bondage. It will destroy you and those around you. Sexual immorality is such a part of our society today. We see it promoted everywhere. We've gone from Ricky and Lucy in two separate beds to what would have been considered just a few short years ago pornographic. It's, al it's in almost every, uh, every show that's on television today. And I'm not telling you you need to go home and throw out your television. I'm saying you better be aware that the enemy is using it as a tool to desensitize you to the things that you know are wrong. He's using it as a tool that says fornication is okay. Sex was created to be experienced between a husband and a wife inside of marriage. And society today is returning to what it was in Paul's day. When Paul wrote to the church, it was all about personal pleasure and power. The world around us today says, says this, have many partners, regardless of whether you're married or not, regardless of gender. That's the way the world is. That's not God's way. Sexual immorality will put you in chains of bondage. Paul gives us some clear reasons as to why we should sanctify ourselves in verses 6 through 8. He says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. First thing that Paul says here is sexual immorality defrauds a brother. In other words, it, it cheats our brother. Think about it in the context of marriage. Sexual immorality steals from a husband or a wife. If one of the two fall into sexual sin, it takes their affection that should be towards their spouse and it puts it towards someone else. It, it's stealing that affection that their spouse desires and needs and gives it to another. Their body no longer belongs to, them, to, the, to their spouse, but now it belongs to another that they've given it to. It's stolen from the spouse. But listen, not just that, it's stolen trust as well. 
and the trust is gone. Once that trust is gone, it's almost impossible for it to ever be regained. That's not just true only for the spouse either, though. This affects the family unit as well. If a, if a dad steps outside of marriage, what does this do to the children who find out? What about the people who know the man or woman? If someone is going to break the most sacred of vows, how can they be trusted with another sacred or important thing? Sexual immorality destroys families, but it also affects those around them as well. There's a hurt and a distrust that just seems to hang on and just never seems to go away. When the covenant of marriage has been broken, God is the only thing and the only one that can bring a healing to these situations. It is only him. Listen, if you are in a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage, you need to understand this is outside of God's will for your life. We shouldn't have to spell it out, but Paul does. He says, the, the will of God for your life is for you to be sanctified, to be set apart, to not walk into sexual immorality. If you're in a sexual relationship with someone who is married, you need to understand it's not just sex. You are stealing from that person's spouse. If they aren't married, you're stealing from their future spouse. You're stealing their innocence and purity. Paul says, don't take this lightly. He, he, he gives warning about this. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm warning you again. God is the avenger of this. The world may say, hey, it's okay. If it feels good, do it. But God does not say it's okay. Immoral behavior will be judged. The world may make up its own rules. They, they may make up these rules that are that, and, and say, uh, listen, the, the Bible, it's outdated. God's rules are outdated. They don't apply to today. But who is man? Who, who is man to say what is morally right and what is morally wrong? Living life in a way that makes you just feel good in the moment is the way of the world. God's call is that we would be called to holiness, to purity. We are to live our life set apart. That means we're to live our life of purity to our spouses and to our families. God calls us to holiness. We cannot look to the world to get our direction. The world around us is falling apart. The world around us is filled with people looking for hope. If our life doesn't look any different than the world, why would they look to the church? Why, why would they look to the church as a place of refuge, as a place of hope, a place of forgiveness and healing, if we look the same as them? Our families ought to look different. They should look different than the families of the world. We should be people of character and purity. Paul is clear in, in saying, these are not my teachings. <laughs> these are not my ideas. These are the commands of God. And he says, listen, God is the avenger. In other words, 
Paul, as a, as a preacher or teacher of the gospel, he can share. He can encourage. He can even bring correction. But in the end, it's God that we all must answer to. And when we reject God's commands, we are rejecting God himself. And everyone who rejects God's command must answer. And the only way to escape God's vengeance is through repentance. It's through a turning away from sin and allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us clean. Paul says, when you reject this, you are rejecting the God who has given you his spirit. Before moving on to discuss the return of Christ, which he picks up in verse number 13, Paul gives some more encouragement to continue loving one another in verses 9 through 12. He also gives some additional uh, ways to live. Verses 9 through 12 says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. He's saying, listen, you're doing great in this area. Sometimes we need some extra instruction even when we're doing good, right? It's not always about, hey, when you've messed up, you need a word of correction. Sometimes you just need to hear, say, listen, you're doing good in this area, and I want to encourage you to continue doing exactly what you're doing and to continue growing in that. And that's what Paul is doing in this passage. He says, and indeed you do so toward all the brothers in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Paul goes back in this part of the, the scripture to talk about the love that this church has again. Notice even as he's given instruction here, he never said, hey, you've been caught in sin. You know, even when he was talking about about sexual immorality, he wasn't saying, listen, I know that you are doing this. But he knew the world around them. And he's saying, listen, you got to do the right thing. Even in that previous passage where he doesn't talk about being caught up in sin, he's simply putting it out there as a reminder. It's like, listen to me. Don't fall for the things the world has fallen for. The world around you is driven by the the lust of the flesh. Don't go there. And here in this passage, he says, we urge you that you may increase this love that you're doing a great job. We, we, We urge you to increase in it. There's always room to grow in our love. Paul is encouraging them to continue in the love that they have for one another. No matter how much love you have for others, there is always, always room to grow in it. The body of Christ, that's you and I, right? That's us, the people. We need each other. And we need a body who will love one another. And and when, when someone falls into sin where they may need a word of correction, they also need someone to come alongside of them and love them, to to point them back in the right way. 
This particular church Paul was writing to, as we've talked over these last few weeks, was facing much persecution. And the way that they were going to make it through was their faith in God, and that is a shared faith that would lift one another up because of the love they have for each other. So the first part of this chapter, he tells them, live free from sexual immorality. Then he returns to encourage them to continue loving the brotherly love, phileo love. And then he gives them some additional instruction. He says, aspire. The King James says, study, to study to live a quiet life. Don't forget this church had two main problems. They were facing persecution. The people they worked with, their neighbors, were mocking them because of the way that they were living, because of the, the life that they were leading. And evidently, some of the people maybe weren't responding in the most Christian-like manner. So, so he's saying, listen, you need to study, you need to aspire to live a quiet life. Kind of like what we see today sometimes on social media, isn't it? People will criticize the church, and then the church will want to rear up and come back with some quick quip or, or scream how wrong they are. And Paul is saying, listen, love one another and strive to live a life of quietness. He's saying you are going to be far more effective with a spirit of gentleness than you'll ever have by yelling at someone. The other problem they faced were that some were making accusations against Paul. They were unfounded and not true. And the point Paul is making here by, by living a life of quietness is saying, listen, don't just be talking. Don't just, don't be speaking words of divisiveness to each other. Think about the noise of the world we live in today. There's noise constantly coming. Th there are people who are genuinely hurting in the church and outside of the church. And if we have so much noise going on in our life, how are we ever going to hear the hurt that they're going through? If we don't ever take time to slow down, to quiet down, how are we going to hear the Spirit when He says, listen, you need to go talk to that person. They need a word of encouragement today. They're going through it. There, there are people who are, who are dying on the inside, and we would never have any idea because our life is so fast-paced, noisy, and busy that we haven't slowed down, quieted down enough to see or to hear. How are we going to minister to them if we aren't quiet enough to listen, to know how we can minister. Strive to live a quiet life. And then Paul says, and mind your own business. That's pretty clear and direct, isn't it? I mean, he, he's not um, real shy about it here. I mean, he's like, stop being a busybody. Stop spending your time putting your, your nose into someone else's business. Stop, stop putting your nose where it doesn't belong. See, people spend far too much time looking at the problems in others' lives rather than dealing with the problems in their own. I'm pretty sure Jesus spoke about this. I think he said something about getting that speck out of someone else's eye while the whole log is in your eye. See, when you're a busybody, that's what you're doing. When you're more worried about someone else's business than your own, you're trying to pick the spot the little speck. 
be careful, you might poke their other eye out with the log coming out of yours. See, when you're a busybody, you're stopping your own Christian walk. Being a busybody doesn't move you closer to God. It does nothing for you. It causes division. It causes hurt. Then finally, Paul says, work with your own hands. See, there were those within this, this church that believed Jesus' return was imminent. Like, he was coming, like, maybe tomorrow. Now, we all know that he may come tomorrow, but this was written 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't come yet. We, we are looking forward to the day that he returns. But this church was so convinced that it was happening right then that many of them quit their job, gave all their stuff away so they could spend all their time sharing the gospel. Can I tell you that was unwise? And that's what Paul is saying here when he says, when he's, when he's saying, work with your own hands. In other words, there were people who were beginning to pull from others who were working. They were, they were sucking the church dry, or the, which is the people, right? I'm not talking about a building. They, they, were, they were pulling off from other people. Paul is saying that's a horrible witness to those outside of the church when you won't even work. Didn't, didn't Jesus say, hey, do your work as unto the Lord? He's saying as believers, you need to set an example, and that includes in the way you work. In another letter, Paul says, those who don't work won't eat. In that, he's specifically speaking of those who are within the body and who are able. Here he's saying, listen, God has given you an ability to earn a living. He's given you this ability so that you would lack nothing. Use it. Give to those who are less fortunate. But don't quit your job and give everything away. If so, you're going to lack. You're not going to have anything. It's a lot easier to show love in a tangible way if you have something tangible to give. If you quit your job and give everything away, that may be a great day. But that's exactly what it's going to be, a day. It's going to be a great day, but it won't last very long because the, the people who you owe the mortgage to are still going to want their, their money. The electric company still wants paid. The, the car note, which maybe you shouldn't have, but you do, so they still want to get paid. Kroger still wants you to pay for the food that you're going to take home. As we, as we prepare to close this, I want to remind you, just as Paul reminded the church, these aren't my commands. These aren't Paul's commands. These are the commands of God. So let me ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing in your Christian walk? Are you, are you standing still? Are you going backwards? Are you moving closer to him each and every day? Where are you when it comes to sexual purity? Are you faithful? Are you pure? Or when... All is quiet in the home and no one is looking around. You find yourself on the computer looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at. Are these areas that you are struggling with? Do you want to experience freedom? 
I tell you, self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. But it begins with repentance. It starts with repentance. Are you striving to live a quiet life or your life filled with noise? Gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It begins with repentance. Are you a busybody? Constantly gossiping? Or are you doing well at minding your business? See, kindness will keep you from being a busybody. Kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It begins with repentance. Are you a hard worker? Or are you constantly looking for others to provide for you? Are you faithful in your work? Faithfulness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And all of these things begin with repentance. So this morning I ask, are you struggling in any area? Because there's good news. You can start anew today. You can start fresh today. You don't have to continue giving in to the lust of the flesh. You don't have to go down that road. Paul said, you know, you know how you should live. The great news is we are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us. He brings correction. The question becomes, do we listen? Do we listen to him? That's part of that quietness. And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment of some awkward silence. And we're going to allow God to speak to us for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Cade, go ahead and bring that down for just a moment.